Hey everyone, welcome back to Interesting Conversations. For our episode today, both myself, Maddie Clark, and Interesting Conversations co-host, Christian Atangana, sit down with former professional hockey player and mental performance consultant, Michael Koska. Mike is a former professional hockey player, and he has played in the American Hockey League as well as the National Hockey League. Mike has played on teams such as the Toronto Maple Leafs, Tampa Bay Lightning, and New York Rangers. Upon retirement from sport, Mike pursued a Master's in Human Kinetics at the University of Ottawa and is now practicing as a mental performance consultant as a professional member with the Canadian Sports Psychology Association. Mike gets candid with us about mental performance in sport and life, the grind of being a professional athlete, and the confusing transition out of sport that many athletes experience. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. After learning so much about sports psychology post-retirement from hockey, what did you learn within the program that you feel could have supported you as a professional hockey player or just hockey player in general? Yeah, no, I think that's a, it's, it's a really good question. Uh, something that I reflected on pretty frequently throughout the program as I was uh, yeah, as you know, you went through it as well, and, and you're constantly learning new things. Uh, you were in a unique scenario yourself where you were still competing as an athlete, so I know you were trying to apply some of the things that, that you were learning um, to your actual performance. For me, it was just looking back on how I could potentially have used some of the, the things that I was learning. One of the biggest things that came to mind consistently was just, just having access to someone that could have been supportive uh, in that process. You know, I, I think it's natural to think about a lot of the, the challenges that I had um, and really just trying to manage the lows um, throughout my career because it was really challenging. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the well-being component of it would have been really helpful. <laughs> would have been really helpful um, just so that I had a consistent effort on the mental side of things. You know, like I, I always knew the mental side of it was really important and I was curious about it, but I didn't take consistent action while I played or really had like an anchor or someone that I could connect with um, and really have that trusting relationship outside of maybe friends or coach or, uh, or family. Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, that's that's very relevant. And obviously, you know, being in uh, the space where you have to perform at all times, that the additional support that you get that that's available can only boost your performance. So it's uh, something that's definitely, I think, important when it comes to kind of delivering on and off the court, so to speak. Yeah, for, for sure. I, 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 you know, it's uh, it's funny even now, like starting to get involved as a mental performance consultant and to see that there's still this gap in, in certain sports or in certain domains recognizing the importance of it and how it can really be integrated to ensure that people do have that place to go, that person that they can rely on. And I think a lot of it too is just building the awareness around what the support can even look like. Like I look back and I didn't, there were times where I knew I could have used help, but I just didn't know 
where that could have come from or I didn't know what it could look like. And I think so much of sport, especially when you get to high performance levels, it's, it's kind of a pride point to want to grind through and figure things out for yourself. And so that was like my default response in my mind is like, Hey, find a way, you know, you'll just, you'll, you'll dig in and this is part of it. And in a way you're almost proud of, you know, taking your shots along the way because you feel like it's helping you in pursuit of whatever, whatever you're trying to accomplish. But uh, there's ways to manage <laughs> those stressors as you go through it and to be a lot healthier, I, I think in, in the process and that pride piece, I, I don't think served me as well uh, as I thought it did at the time. In terms of, so obviously now you're doing, you're in the, you were in the program and now you're a mental performance consultant. I'm curious as to what mental strategies uh, you use as an athlete to be able to deliver on the court and keep that, that, that framework like off the, like how, what, what, what strategies did you have to put yourself in peak state to deliver uh, when you were on the edge? When I was playing? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say one of the biggest ones uh, was like a pregame routine, a mental preparation routine really finding ways and if it's something I just kind of cobbled together on the fly you're trying to figure things out I would read some sports psychology books or you know but I didn't you know have some someone really guiding me towards doing this but really trying to identify moves of focus for the game that were within my control and so going into a competition trying to like, like figure out okay what are things I can do that I know are going to happen every game that are more, as Maddie's heard a lot of this talk, are more process-oriented than outcome. Um, that's not how I was thinking about it at the time. I wasn't like, okay, got my process focused mental routine. <laughs> but so much of it was really just how can I climb myself to be comfortable with maybe some of the things that I'm fearful of going into a game, maybe some things I'm not as confident with. And so having that routine and then using visualization to envision what those things were uh that was those were a couple strategies that i found really helpful beautiful yeah uh i think it's it's so interesting because i played soccer right so played soccer uh semi-professionally in europe and i was in ottawa and in toronto as well and uh one of the things that i think maddie's heard me talk about a lot that transition from playing sports into business now is mental stamina right because i think being able to play at a certain peak level, uh, high level, and to be able to perform at peak state, um, you always have to kind of, you know, have, like you mentioned, some kind of mental preparation before going into a game, but also be able to build endurance to have, like, if you're going into a series of games, to keep going at a high level. So, what would you say was the importance of having mental stamina while you were competing? And uh, have you ever been in a situation where you had, like, a series of games and you had to keep going and you felt mentally exhausted and what if so what did that look like uh yeah i think that that defines a lot of my career <laughs> especially like so yeah just to give you a bit of context um as i gave in the intro like i played in the ahl which is the minor league system for the nhl uh for most of my professional career so uh that was uh that league was just a, it was a, it was a grind, you know, a lot of bus rides, uh, a lot of 
back to back to back games because they would try to structure games on weekends uh, just to try to get as many fans as they could in the in the buildings. A lot of times you play Friday, Saturday, Sunday with travel in between. Uh, not the most glorious travel or accommodations in, in a lot of cases. And so you're, yeah, you're just doing your best to try to stay on course, but also recognizing that, at least for me, in my pursuit of trying to make it to the NHL, every every game, every performance really feels like it matters because you could be, you know, whether it's uh, an injury that happens in the NHL and then, you know, someone's going to get called up you could be playing on a Sunday afternoon after playing four games and five nights and be totally exhausted and feel like this game, you know, you don't want to play this game. And, uh, and then the realization that after the game, maybe someone gets called up and it's a reminder, you're like, Oh, that's right. It doesn't matter when the game is, how exhausted you are. Part of being a professional, really one of the hardest learnings was to find ways to show up with your best as consistently as possible. And so to your point of like having mental endurance or stamina. Uh, I, I think for me now that aligns with what I think is probably the most important for elite athletes. It's to show up with your best when it matters most and to be able to do it on a consistent basis. And you can do all the physical things to prepare yourself. Of course, those matter, but how emotionally and mentally can you, can you bring yourself to that state and be prepared to at least give yourself the best opportunity to perform at your best. Um, so yeah, it was, it was tough. Like, and they're 80 game seasons and it's a full contact sport with a lot of travel. So, you know, you're battling injuries, you're battling fatigue. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, it kind of reminds me of when Kyle and I were chatting about how mental performance or the performance side plus mental health, they can work hand in hand, but there is going to be a time where they'll intersect, maybe not always for the better. And so how, how can you use mental performance to also like help your mental health in those uh, maybe not so uh, easy times of the season when you're playing, you know, it's the 80th game of the season, you're exhausted. How do you use mental performance to also support your mental health? Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind is being able to build good habits, especially as far as recovery goes. Um, this is something that I think about now more than probably when I played, which is odd. Maybe it's because I have a, a child now or because I've seen different types of uh, sleep deprivation, but just getting into the habit of, of having good rest. You know, I think that that piece alone, it's so simple and it's, I think, spoken about so often. But what I really notice is how much it affects my mood and how then that carries into my well-being or, or my mental health on a consistent basis. So whether it's nutrition, sleep, uh, finding ways just to bring yourself down and do it on a consistent basis, I think that and it's difficult when you're playing like i was with a group of guys that you know become your really good friends a lot of them are, are roommates of yours when you have downtime a lot of times uh you know you're looking to go out and have some fun and relieve some stress and, and to engage in your social life as well and so trying to balance that with you know recognizing maybe your one day off a week is is the best day to sleep but 
you know, there's a party that night or you're going to the bar or whatever it is. Um, and then end up fighting from behind because maybe you had a late night out or, or whatever, but now you've got six more days in a row to, to show up and perform maybe with a couple of games. So that's just a one-off example, but it definitely comes to mind as far as, I, I think when you're younger, you're not considering how much your mood is affected by your sleep patterns. And so building in good sleep habits, I, I think it's one of the simplest things you can do and if there's no silver bullet to it, but I think it can have a huge impact on uh, just your, your overall mental health and how that intersects with then your ability to perform. Beautiful. And was mental performance ever discussed like while you were playing hockey? And essentially, did you guys have conversations about it? How to um, you know, deal with having an 80-game season from the mental perspective? Um. I, I think, you know, on it really depended on the team and the coaches that you that you had. There were some teams that had psychologists that were working for them. They weren't incredibly integrated into the, the teams for those that did have them. And so in most cases, it was it, it often came down to the coaches um, mm-hmm. and how they wanted to deliver their messaging. I think probably the most one of the most effective ways of doing that was really chopping up the season and, and looking at it in segments. Uh, I had one coach, for example, that would look at every uh, five games as a little chunk. And then it allows you to be a bit more present in your pursuit and, um, and yeah, be able to set little goals, like mini goals for those five game periods. And so as far as just, like you said, getting through the grind of it, I think being able to not look too far ahead because it can be really daunting when you're looking at the schedule and you're sitting there and you're going, we have 45 games left and you feel exhausted already. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't experience too much of like direct mental performance within the teams, but I would say indirectly coaches, the ones that recognized how important it was to keep people motivated, to keep you fresh, to keep you excited, uh, finding ways to do that by just keeping everyone as present as possible. That was definitely something that, um, that I saw in the better teams that I was on. Yeah. Can you talk more about the, um, like the difference between being on a team and being in a culture where mental performance is, uh, is focused on and maybe not directly, but is seen as a strength indirectly versus a team that, it's not talked about. Maybe mental performance is almost a sign of weakness. Um, yeah, can you talk about the dichotomy between between those two situations? Yeah, I, I think especially at the highest level when you're trying to perform and, and it matters so much or it feels like it matters so much and you're trying to do it over a long season like that. The teams that had cultures, the, the few that I was on that, you know, focused on it a little bit more or at least recognize that you're not going to get the best out of your players if they're not at their best, uh, you know, with their own mental health or just being equipped with some strategies to help them uh, along the way. And I, I think the teams that did it best were the teams that were the closest. You know, the coaches really worked to build that family feeling where you knew you had your support system of kind of a brotherhood within the locker room. And 
it's interesting, especially in the minors, because in a weird way, you're all competing and you're all on the same team and your teammates, but your teammates are your biggest competition. Because if someone's, everyone's trying to make it to the NHL and if someone's going to get called up, it's your defense partner or it's your, you know, the four that's on your line or it's the other goalie. So it's this, it's, it's kind of a tough place to build culture because everyone's dream is to make it there. You're going out playing against the other team, but the real goal that you're trying to accomplish is make it to the NHL and you're standing right next to, or you're tying your skates up next to the person who's, uh, who's the one that is in competition with you. So being able with that being kind of the landscape of, of how those teams are set up to then build like a brotherhood and be like, look, this is bigger than the game. Like we need to be there for each other. We're, we're a family in this room. There were a couple coaches that were able to cultivate that. And I think it goes so far. I think you can both probably understand, like, especially when you're, you're going through challenging times, how important your support network is, especially of the people that you see on a daily basis that, that you're spending the most time with. And if that's a toxic environment, it's, it's almost like a double whammy. Then it's really not helpful at all. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's a it's you no know, it's surreal to think about about it especially when you're coming up that you're essentially competing from all angles you have to kind of keep yourself in top shape not only with in your household so to speak which is your own team but also as you're performing and i'm curious as to kind of you know as we're now living through this new age this new normal uh, especially with the pandemic and the right social media i think the processes that were in place when uh, I was starting out or you were starting out or we were all starting out were uh, different than what we have now. So with the rise of social media, ease of action communication, what do you feel mental performance and mental health services could be helpful for aspiring professional athletes or even professional athletes, especially in this day and age? Yeah, I, you know, I am, I'm probably a bit older. Well, I know I'm definitely older than Maddie. <laughs> I'm probably a bit older than, than you as well, Christian, but uh, yeah, I'm 36. And so I feel like there's, it's interesting in the last, I don't know, that gap of about 10 years, like I didn't go through high school with social media. And I feel really fortunate because in a lot of ways, I wasn't, I wasn't shaped by, by that. And I, I really noticed it when I got later in my career and I had teammates that were about 10 years younger and I could just tell how integrated their lives were into Instagram and Twitter and Facebook um, and how it even affected them. Uh, not to say that I, you know, I've, I've used and, and still use some of those social media apps, but uh, I don't feel like it's had too much of a, an impact or definitely when I played didn't have too much of a negative impact on, on my career. Um, nowadays, it's a totally different landscape. And I know it's a really, uh, interesting conversation to be had. I, I think, you know, simple strategies as far as, you know, Maddie, we talked about this in our program, but finding ways to not put the apps on your phone, you know, finding ways to maybe like dim your screen so that it's not as attractive when you look at it. Um, just building the self-awareness and maybe understanding, okay, like, yeah, having athletes reflect on what they gain from being on social media. And as we all know, we don't like being told what to do. The amount of times we've been told, like, <laughs> don't use those apps. They're not good for you. Like that, 
that's probably not the the best way to go about it. But uh, as we learn in our program, like self-awareness is the, the entry point to any behavior change. And I, I know how many blind spots I have at this juncture in my life. So I can, I only picture myself as a younger athlete and not even thinking about these things. And uh, knowing, however, if I had someone I could work with, uh, an NPC or someone that uh, I trusted and I worked with, and they were asking me to question myself on, on these or, or challenging me to do so, I think it could have a really big impact on, yeah, just creating healthy habits and healthy relationships with, with social media um, because it's it can be really toxic to so many parts of, of performance or just well-being. Yeah, I was um, I was chatting with someone who did their research on social media amongst athletes, and they found that professional athletes spend over thirty hours on social media a week. Wow! Wow, that's a big number. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's insane. I I mean, even from my experience too in playing pro hockey, like there's a lot of downtime. So mm-hmm, exactly. like on a practice day, I'm at the rink from 8.30 or 9 to noon or 1, and then you're off. And so you have all afternoon, you're hanging out at home, or maybe you're traveling, and you've got your phone right in your pocket, or you're sitting there on the couch or, or whatever. It's, it's, yeah, it's one of the easiest things to, to move towards. And so I could see, yeah, the amount of time being spent, especially when you're just trying to, there's a lot of, there's a lot of boring moments <laughs> and you're just there, you're living in, you know, I lived in some cities that weren't that exciting to be in. And so I wasn't spending my time out exploring or, you know, seeing the city. I would, I would spend my time at home more often in, in some places. And as a result, you know, you're looking for outlets, you're looking for places to plug your attention into and, Social media's done a darn good job at, at pulling us into their vortex. <laughs> oh, absolutely. They don't play around with their algorithms. No. <laughs> <and suggestions. laughs> um, so I'm, I'm curious as to essentially now the transition into um, out of the sport. Uh, I think for me, my experience was there was a moment something clicked in my head and I realized, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. But I think from a mental, mental standpoint, um, I've become very religious with the processes I have in order for me to keep myself at a certain state and a certain frame on a daily basis. How essentially have you navigated life after sport and what was this transition out of hockey like for you? Well, yeah, Maddie knows definitely a bit, a bit about this already um, as we were doing our, our mock counseling sessions on, on each other, <laughs> practicing our, with our training wheels on throughout our program. Maddie and I were paired up on a couple of occasions and this topic came up. Um, I think it's, it's so relevant and it's, it's, it's challenging. Um, I, and, and interestingly, I was speaking to another former, uh, hockey player, a friend of mine recently, and he's been out of the game for like six or seven years. Uh, and the way he framed it, he was like, you're always in transition. Out of the game. And for me, it was just an interesting thought because you know, you leave and then everyone's like, okay, if you, if you plug into something that's, you know, whether it's education or a job from the outside, people are like, oh, that's good. You've made a, you've made a good transition or you've transitioned into something else. But internally, at least for me, like even now I've been, 
out of hockey. I've been retired for four years. Coming up on four years, I went back to school, which was definitely something to put my focus into. Uh, I'm working now as a mental performance consultant, but I'm still navigating a lot of the challenges of, of what a big contrast in lifestyle is. There's so many things I'm not used to that I'm still trying to get my feet under me. <laughs> like, okay, like I've never, I've never, like, yeah, worked from home. I've never just worked regular hours. That's not been something that's been a part of my life, my entire life. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of challenges I, I think that come from it, and even going through the program, actually, like because a lot of it was about our own self reflection and trying to learn about ourselves to to be as aware as possible to then help other people in, in their pursuits. A lot of that self-reflection for me was pretty jarring. And I ended up working with an MPC that I reached out to, uh, to be able to help me with some of it. Because as I went through, you don't, like I said, everyone comes out of their sport in different ways at different times. And there's no real blueprint as to what to do. And I think probably one of the biggest, most complex pieces is just your self-identity. And figuring out who you are as an athlete and how that plugs into all those skills and all those things you use, how they can plug into the world in a way that you feel like you kind of fit somewhere. <laughs> um, and to, like I said, to be totally honest, I'm still in the process of figuring that out. Yeah. It can be really hard too. Like you said, like you focused on something for your whole life, but it seems like your whole life. So of course that's going to be your identity. So you can't just change your identity overnight. And then it's even more challenging when you don't feel that you have anyone to maybe go to, to talk about it, who either understands or relates. You know, even Maddie, as we've gone through the program, just the idea of being able to get into this, having had experience uh, in athletics ourselves, you know, and we know as we have thought about that too how yeah you kind of want someone to to understand what you you've gone through uh having done it themselves now they don't have to have done it themselves but just you know you have a sense when someone recognizes what those challenges are and it's just a lot easier if, if you've done it before because I, I think it's just a really unique transition that um oddly can be really well not not so oddly but it's just really difficult and if other people don't recognize what you're going through because you're you don't understand it or you're not able to communicate that then you just i find it can be a really lonely pursuit yeah um so considering human beings are creatures of habits and you know after spending a lot of time going through the same routine so to speak um, and getting impacted with consistency on a subconscious level. Um, now that you, you, know, you started your new career and you mentioned earlier you were the uh, father, um, what kind of processes have you been able to take <laughs> that you were using to frame yourself mentally uh, from a hockey standpoint and adapt them towards now being in your normal life and as a parent? Yeah, <laughs> good question. Um, one thing that I've, I've recognized that is really important for me is just to move my body. Um, it's weird having had done it for so long in, in a way where you just don't recognize the benefits you're getting from it. 
And for me, hockey was the thing that I was the best at expressing myself through because I'd done it for so long. And so now I, I definitely recognize if I'm not active, I don't, I don't feel as good. It's one of the things I really try to do. Um, most mornings I, I do it. I wake up, I put the yoga mat out and I just move for 15 minutes, you know, just go through some yoga, a little bit of strength, a little bit of, um, whatever movements I've done so many workouts and yoga over the years where I just kind of, <laughs> I go with the flow and I've got enough of a repertoire to be able to dig into exercises. So I would say that's one thing, uh, and just being disciplined in that because I know how much it just helps my day. If I can start my day with that and then I have a shower, I usually finish with a cold shower. Um, those two things, if I can check those two boxes and, get my day going, I, I find it really helpful to kind of propel me into, you know, as good of a, a start to my day as possible. So to your question, just around habits, I think building them out around things, especially at the start of the day, uh, like I said, being a father too, you, we've been lucky that our daughter has been a good sleeper, but there's always things that if they, if her needs are, are present, they take precedence, <laughs> you know? So Carving out the space to be able to build, give yourself the best chance at starting the day well, I find that that's, uh, that's really important because before I had a routine, I knew where I had to show up to. I knew I, like, when I got to the rink, you know, the activity was going to happen. And so now just, you know, building that out for myself, uh, it's taken a while, but it's definitely something I do now to try to kickstart my days. Yeah, beautiful. And I think, uh, it's so important to have routines, especially because I'm a big believer in how you start the days, how the rest of your day is going to kind of, you know, roll from there. So you want to maximize uh, that framing process, especially at the beginning of the morning. And I'm glad you mentioned cold showers because I love them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, you know, that's probably even like tying that into the, the previous question about transitioning out of sport. That's probably been the hardest part for me is my whole life I was it was so structured and I was really good when the structure was there and I knew that the pursuit like I knew what I wanted to do I wanted to try to play in the NHL I wanted to be the best hockey player I could be and that was so clear in my mind uh, I never questioned it and so I had that pursuit I had that clear direction and then I had the structure to plug into and not having those two things you know, still in the process of figuring out as an NPC, um, you know, what, what I really am trying to pursue, um, you know, the nuance of that or, or where I want to plug in is something that I'm, I'm still working on. And in that process, not having routines and having to be uh, disciplined enough to implement them yourselves because no one's showing up and had my calendar ready for me. <laughs> um, in a lot of ways, I was so spoiled at, at the beginning. So. Just being able to to give yourself and build the environment at home, build yourself a bit of structure that's to your point gonna gonna be able to get you off to a good start and and then hopefully build some momentum so that you can string together some consistent days that are meaningful. Yeah, so we've we've discussed um, the transfer of mental skills or um, sport things that you've learned in sport and the transfer to life skills. So this kind of uh, brought me to this question, just talking about life after sports. So what have you learned? What did you learn in sport that transferred over to life? Um, 
yeah, that's <laughs> where where does my mind go with this? Um, I would I would say generally speaking, the one thing that comes to mind is that if I'm going to commit to something, is to be all in with it. Um, it's something I'm still challenged with <laughs> at times, but I just find that. I get so much meaning out of life by knowing that I've, I've I've given it everything I have, and it sounds so cliche, but that's how I, I think I was able to have the success I did in my previous career because I I love challenging myself, I love the pursuit of individual and in group potential, and now just being able to have that as a framework for whatever it is that I do. To be committed to something, I, I think is there's a lot of beauty in that, and a lot of meaning can be drawn from it. And so, the tricky part is identifying on the front end, as you know, Maddie. Like we're trying things as NPCs. It's not, um, it, it's not the clearest job pathway or career pathway, and there's a lot of different ways it can look. And so. Uh, just working to to try to identify what's something that I can like really commit to, because I feel like I'm at my best when I know I'm I, I've got that commitment and, and dedication to something, and if I can continue to chip away at, at building my life around that, I think it's more of a broad perspective, but it really you know ties into so many different mental skills and and strategies. Beautiful, yeah, that's wonderful. I think it's. It's it's so fascinating how you've, you've been able to adapt and kind of transfer things over from you know your the the standard of excellence you held yourself to as a, an athlete to now as you know you're transitioning through and living going through your regular life and my my question is this you know so you've built the frameworks you've built the routines uh, but you know this, there's some individuals out there that are very high performers. Uh, and doesn't necessarily have to be when it comes to sports alone, but it can be in business, it can be in anything else or aspiring to be. So how does high level competition, how, how, how does a high level competitive spirit that one has uh, or that center of excellence that you have translate into regular life? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, what comes to mind is just going back to first off, like having a meaningful pursuit. I, I think that it's hard to perform on a consistent basis, which is what you need to do to be a high performer in, in anything. If the pursuit doesn't hold, like doesn't spark some excitement or passion, within you. Um, it's not going to be perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect pursuit, but I, I think just on the front end, being able to identify something that excites you, gets you out of bed in the morning, there's components of it that, that have that. So then you can bring that competitive spirit into it. There's got to be something that you can tie your your competitive spirit into what you're doing currently. And to give an example, when I played, it was it was very personal. It was about me and trying to get the most out of myself and, and the most out of my own potential. Now, working with athletes or teams, I get a lot of my fulfillment from from this work in seeing how people are doing in their process of, as we work together, whether it's their performance or probably in a, you know, that's one piece of it for sure. But I would say the most fulfilling is just seeing someone doing well in life and being centered and grounded and, 
and feeling like I've had some level of, of imprint on that, um, that, that to me now is where it's still challenging to figure out how exactly, cause I can be really competitive and it's a completely different way to be competitive about something. But I think what, where something maybe directly could be linked to that is ongoing learning. Like if I want to help support people and being at their best, I need to be plugged into content. I need to be reading. I need to be listening to podcasts. I need to be uh, communicating with, you know, my, my classmates like uh, Maddie and, and our, you know, our old supervisor people that you can constantly be learning and growing uh, as, as what you do as a professional. And so it's not always easy, but I definitely find that, yeah, that transition over is really about finding how you can uh, leverage that competitive spirit you have. And the hardest part for me is, to be honest, is it was all about me at the beginning of, of my career. Like phase one was my own pursuit. And now it's getting fulfillment from seeing others in their pursuits uh, and being a part of their journeys and, and connected to that. No, that's beautiful. Well said. Um, so yeah, no, this has been uh, absolutely incredible. And uh, thank you so much for all the insights you shared in terms of, you know, not only your journey as an athlete, but also what the, what you, I think it's beautiful to kind of see how you've been able to not only go through your journey, but now get to understand the science behind it. And now you're able to find this beautiful mix on how uh, individuals can take the processes, frame themselves, all while kind of keeping, you know, that competitive edge <laughs> that they have and navigating life as a parent as an individual. So. Thank you so much for your insights. It's so appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just one general thing that, that this has kind of sparked for me, and Maddie and I have had some conversations about this, just that whole area of athlete transition. Uh, as I said, and I, and I like that idea that, you know, it's kind of an ongoing process because so much of your identity, especially if you were competing from a young age in those formative years, become a part of who you are. To any athletes that are listening, you know, or, or this might strike a chord with, like, there are a lot of moments where I'm, I feel uncertain. There are a lot of moments still where I'm, I'm, you know, there's, I don't have a lot of comfort in what I'm doing compared to what it, it felt like before. Um, and that's okay. You know, I've learned to, to know that that's, that's okay, but it's something to be, um, to be explored. And so hopefully you can find, you know, the, the people around you that can help you do that. But I think the, the, the difficult part is, like I said, sometimes you transition into doing something and you're in it and you don't feel that settled in it at all. And everyone just sees from the outside and they're like, oh, wow, you know, it's really great to see where you're at. And you're like, on the inside, I'm like, I'm terrified and I feel incredibly uncomfortable and I still have days like that. So um, just to kind of normalize the experience, I think is really important and an important part of that conversation because that's where I think people run into trouble is they get they feel really alone and um they feel like they, they just don't know what the, the way is forward so just a general statement around that but i think you both asked some really good questions that uh definitely sparked that yeah no mike i really appreciate all your honesty and perspective uh during this conversation i think you're experience being a professional athlete and then going into mental performance can support so many people so i'm sure a lot of people gained um 
valuable perspectives just from, you know, listening to you for 45, 40 minutes. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for, yeah, just being honest and sharing how you're feeling. Cause I think there's still a big gap in, in uh, maybe honesty around feelings, especially in sport and high performance. So thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I, I think one thing I've learned, especially post career is that having these conversations is really helpful for me. Um, and, and so just being able to be honest about, yeah, uh, it, it just opens more dialogue and, and it allows you to kind of sort through what it is you're experiencing and just knowing that life can be messy. Life isn't this neat, tiny, tidy little, uh, little pocket that you can, you know, just know where to check in and, and everything just makes sense and, and that's all right. But no, I appreciate the, the questions, the conversations, and for, for both of you having me on the show. Thank you so much, and we appreciate you for your time. Definitely love to have you again <laughs> sometime soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.